Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Coffee and Open Source. I'm super excited for my guests. We're going to talk about some really cool, awesome open source things and probably talk about live streaming. So my guest today is the one, the only, Jeff Fritz. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hey, good to see you, Isaac. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's, this is, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's December. It's it's getting cold outside. We had a tornado blow through a, a couple days ago. It's like... I, I, it's and it's 2020. I should have expected we'd have a tornado in 2020. I mean, uh, it, yeah. So my wife, <laughs> my wife showed me this ornament that somebody made, where it was like basically like the 12 days of Christmas, but the 12 days of 2020 with all the nonsense, right? Um, I mean, I went outside just now, and I live in Washington, and it typically doesn't get freezing here, but right. I'm outside, and it's just I'm frozen. And I like, I'm putting the kids in the car, I give my wife a hug, and she's like, I'm not going to hug you back because my arms are too cold. And it's just, that's the way we are right now. Um, okay. But of course, you know, this is the this is the world we live in. And the fact that I never leave my house ever anymore just means that, um, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it, so, you know, again, uh, I spoke to you a little bit earlier about this. Like, thank you for coming on here. Like, I know that this is a small production compared to some of the stuff that you've done. Um, but you know, I, one of the things that I think really showcases like one of your skills as a, um, a media personality is what I'm going to call you a media personality. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll is, take it. is like your, your bread and butter with the community, right? Like the, the, the things that you do with the community, uh, and especially in the open source community and the tech community is really substantial. And one of the things I always like to ask folks right when they get on is that why, why did you decide to be so involved in open source? Or, or why did you so involved to be in tech community in general? Maybe not just open source, but tech community in general. Sure, sure. Um, honestly, it, things changed for me in, in about 2000, 2010. Um, I, was, I was considering doing more with the, with the technical community. I was working at a startup at the time. Um, I was maybe mm, three, four years into working there. And, and we were a small company. There was really wasn't room for career advancement because it was a small company. You know, there were 20 people total in the company. You're not going to get promoted. It's get the stuff done, build the app, go. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I could continue growing my career, continue growing, feeding, and, and getting to that next level of knowledge, right? You can only do so much inside of your company. If you want to expand your knowledge base beyond just what you're working on. You need to tinker. You need to get outside. And so I was going to my local user group. I was going to, I, I was going to Microsoft tech ed at the time. And, and I saw how interesting it was and how, um, how much speaking at, at user groups and at community events, code camps and the like, um, how rewarding that could be. So I, I started to spin my career a little bit in that direction. And my mother was a teacher. Um, I, I had my, my second daughter was two years old at that point. And it, it, it hit for me that technical education from folks that are experienced and, and um, knowledgeable, highly knowledgeable, is something that's extremely valuable and I wanted to get in and make more of my knowledge available to folks. I started a blog. I started engaging and speaking at my local user group. And it just, it, it fit like a glove for me. And um, 
I, I had an opportunity to speak to a couple folks at TechEd in 2010. It, that was in New Orleans, and and it of folks in INETA, the International .NET User Group Association, and it really started to click for me. It started to come together that this is something that I can engage with. I don't have to overcommit to, sure. and it can be something that I can hang my hat on that. Yes, I am helping people. Yes, I am learning and providing that next level of education that hopefully at some point my daughters get to get to appreciate and they can learn from. And um, it, it, it really clicked for me at that point. And I wanted to figure out, well, how do I do an open source project? How, where can I participate? What's something that makes sense for me? And I, I wrote a couple of libraries that worked with yeah. ASP.NET 3.5 and big deal. Sure. But um, eventually more opportunities came for me and I embraced and ran after them. It was, it was good for me at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty spot on. Like one of the things that I talk about with folks, you know, as a part of the stream and it's just a part of just tech in general is that the way that folks get educated to get into technology like needs to change a little bit i mean mm-hmm. i was having this conversation with my wife actually uh we had a we, we were talking with a friend and he he is a doctorate in marine biology so he's very much like he's an academic he's he teaches at the university of washington and we were having this conversation about just teaching in general and how computer science curriculums at universities like it's very hard to kind of take go from that to um getting a job Right. At least how I see it. Like, that's my personal opinion. Some other people might disagree. But like one of the like I'm not the greatest computer scientist. I don't have a computer science degree. I have problem solving skills and I can stack overflow very well. Right. Um, (laughs) But they don't but they don't teach you that in college. And I think one of the things that um, I love that's going on right now, especially in the in the tech space, is that people are learning. Um, in non-traditional ways, like you're seeing mm-hmm. a ton of people that are career changers. You're seeing people that don't have college degrees come into tech and be successful. And I think sure. it's part of the reason is that at least how I see tech and being a software developer or even working in networking and things like that is it's like, you know, you have to have hands on the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of universities are set up for you to, okay, practice all these algorithms, practice all this theory and um, here, maybe write some, some code that was written, like that was written in like the eighties. Right. Like I remember one of my projects was like, you know, programming an ATM in C and I'm like, (laughs) like, like this is valuable for me, I guess. Um, but that's a different rant about, uh, high education and computer science. But I guess back to my point about you with your, you know, you, you have a mother that's a teacher, you Mm -hmm. kind of have like that wanting to, you know, give the knowledge that you have to others kind of thing in your blood. I think that's yep. teachers have that. Oh, and yeah. I think, and I think in general, um, you saw an opportunity to, Hey, there are, there are tons of platforms for folks to learn how to write code. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't we doing this like paired programming at scale, which is kind of like what I see, what you do, at least to an extent. And I, you're, you're moving in your seat, which I means that you probably disagree with that statement. So you can go ahead. So where where I jumped in, where I got into into live streaming, where where I engaged further with that was um, I had produced a, a couple videos for um, for Plural Site yeah. you know, several years ago, and um, 
I became very disenfranchised with with their recording platform and getting feedback from from viewers. It it just didn't click for me. Um, I, there were already so many people on their platform producing content, but I loved recording and making videos. Yes, and and I got as part of my as part of my job at Microsoft, it was write content, produce produce blog posts um and every now and again once every six to nine months we would do a series of videos in a studio producing yeah. delivering teaching mm -hmm. and it, it really it, it, the the two three times that i had been in studios and and producing that content really felt good for yeah. me mm -hmm. so i i I got the idea in my head, well, instead of doing these blog posts that folks will read at some point yeah. and they're going to search through and, you know, they're not really going to read all of it. They're going to show but, me the code part. Yeah. Show me the code part. Yeah. So why not make this a regular, almost like talk radio, just like we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Right. But take that leap ahead of a podcast of, Hey, we're always going to be here on Tuesdays and Thursdays and able to respond, able to have those conversations. And I, I had been shown live coding by several other folks. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it was something I tested out over the American Thanksgiving weekend. You know, Hey, let me, let me just spend a couple hours, turn on the camera while I'm writing some code. Mm -hmm. And I, I fell in love with the platform. Yeah. Just, the, the first time that I had, I had folks replying. Oh my gosh. It, people in chat room talking back was like, yes, mm -hmm. this is something that I can do more of. And the, the next step of, well, somebody sent me a pull request. Somebody opened an issue on yeah. the project that I was working on and sharing online. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking. Now we're at that next level and it got me hooked. Yeah. So no. the rest is history. Yeah. And I, so I think you and I probably have similar um similar bones right so i very much got started in i guess you could say this community thing by like writing docs for docs.microsoft.com this before okay. i joined microsoft and then doing speaking right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and the first time i spoke at the at a at a community event which was the .net um new york city meetup um mm -hmm. i was living in new york city at the time and the second i started talking like i was nervous obviously but the second i started talking no nerves and, and I, and I came home and I told my wife, I'm like, I think I really like doing that. I want to do more of it. And then like, I got on the speaker circuit, like I imagine, like you did as well. Like, and so when I started seeing you, like before I started doing this silly thing, like I would jump on your stream. And the first thing mm -hmm. that I saw and I noticed is that this is basically the exact same feeling that I get from speaking in front of people at events. Yep. Same. It's. I know the medium is different. I know everything is different, like as it pertains to technology and all that. But it's the same, like adrenaline shot, or the same mm -hmm. whatever you want, dopamine or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the exact same feeling. And I said, that's it. Like that's especially. And I think that all this stuff, like um, Scott Hanselman, who you you and I both know, he always jokingly says, like every dad now needs to have a live stream, right? And it's 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 yeah. It's uh, it's it's funny because um, like I think the pandemic has kind of introduced this idea of 
we need to be able like there's a ton of people that are out in the speaking circuit and they can't speak yeah. anymore so like they need to get that out somehow sure. and i think this is a, a perfect venue for it um i and i think that you know and this is not to um you know ma- you know glorify the greatness that is chef fritz um <laughs> but i think you know, one of the things that I, I really was appreciative of you is you make it look very, very easy to get started, which I think that's a lot of people's main concern with not only just streaming, but public speaking in general. Like, mm. uh, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I might have nerves or what if a demo fail happens or I say something wrong. Um, but like, it's one of those things where, yeah, like shit happens. You know, we, we can swear on this. It's not a family program. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I do think that it's one of those things where it's it gives you the opportunity to get that out and be able to do the same thing that you were doing from a speaking perspective, but live stream as well. Oh, and to be clear, I started live streaming because the only events that yeah. I was being invited to speak at were my events that I was managing. Yeah. I, it, I was speaking at Build. I was speaking at Ignite. I couldn't speak at the at the regional yeah. event at all rejected i couldn't i invites to speak at event xyz in london i submit a dozen sessions over there everyone is rejected sessions to to this event over here in in you know another country no sorry completely rejected and and i still get a lot of rejections Mm -hmm. when i submit content when i submit sessions but you know what? I don't get rejected when I open up and yeah. and crack the mic, turn on the camera here, and away I go. And now, 510 episodes later, I've presu- produced thousands of hours of live video, mm-hmm. and I've reached a heck of a lot more people than if I had spoken at whoever's conference in London, Madrid, Berlin. Um, I'm picking European towns. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, well... Atlanta, yeah. Orlando, wherever. The point being, do I need those events? No. Because yeah. I like you said, for what I'm trying to do, reach more folks, mm-hmm. reach new folks, there is no barrier to entry here. This is wide open. Anybody can click through. Anybody can can find the link, whether it's on social media, it's on my blog, it's it's wherever it might be. Anybody can come in. Everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. There's no barrier to entry. Anybody can ask questions on chat, and away we go. Mm-hmm. The conversation happens. People learn. Everything is eventually recorded, published out to various locations, where I spent that half hour, 45 minutes in, in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Then what? Yeah. Where does it go from there? I, I lost a week with my family so that I could be at that event. Yeah. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm in my spare bedroom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I know. And I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, I've, I've been, I felt this kind of jaded experience now that like, there's no events. I, I don't submit to events anymore because like, I don't know what the difference is between streaming myself or streaming for a live for a virtual event um mm-hmm. i mean there like there's this there's this idea of like visibility i guess but at the same time my thought is is that i i could just do everything that i want to do just on my own stream if i wanted right yes. obviously the audience numbers are substantially lower but that just means i have to work harder um uh, so 
there's a couple things there, right? Yeah. Um, when we talk about a virtual, a virtual event, right? Mm -hmm. There's actually several different types of, of virtual events, right? Yeah. There's the invite only virtual events that happen behind, behind a, a gated login on a zoom platform on a yeah. Microsoft team platform splash that I've seen folks use and, and you're gated. You must log yeah. in. You, you must e either get an email, get a password to to log in or you have to buy a ticket to yes. get in right mm -hmm. so that's one level of virtual event honestly not as much a fan of those there's sure. the open-ended virtual events like we see here on twitch on youtube the live streaming we see on learn tv mm -hmm. these various places where anybody can connect in anybody can watch and they're supported through advertising yeah that's interesting. That's compelling to me mm -hmm. as an open source personality, as somebody who wants to encourage more folks to learn, wants to make wants to make this content available for kids, yeah. for for teenagers, for college students. Hey, you want to learn about C Sharp? I'm here to help help you learn about it. And this is when you can tune in and find it. That is open and accessible to everybody. Sure. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mind having premium content available for for folks that, that do want to pay for it. Sure. I don't mind that, yeah. but it doesn't reach my goals. Sure. My goals are I want everybody mm -hmm. using, yeah. I want everybody using .NET. I want everybody using the blue Microsoft Cloud. I want to make education easy for yeah. anybody to access and easy for folks to understand. Put these put development materials in everybody's hands. Mm -hmm. There's more than two million open software development jobs out there. We need people who yeah. can write software. Exactly. Um, and I've had this conversation with a few folks um, uh, on this stream and then off of the stream. I uh, so I uh, I work heavily with the .NET Foundation, um, mm -hmm. not as a part of my job, but because I love the dot, I love .NET and I love the foundation. Um, and as you're well aware, the .NET Foundation gets uh, it gets generally pointed opinions sometimes on social media. And the response that I've always, um, like I've talked to some people that on this stream that have no affiliation with .NET at all, and their opinion okay. of .NET is, is weird, right, in my opinion. Um, like I tell, them okay. I tell them that it's weird um, because their opinion of .NET is substantially different than how I see it. And I understand how, okay. echo, I understand how echo chambers work. And I think one of the things that's very interesting to me, uh, what people's outside of .NET's perception of .NET and the .NET community is that it's a bunch of people that look like you and me. Um, which, so, yeah. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I know that that's something that, you know, you are trying to fix with the stream. You're trying to be open to everybody. And I'd like to understand kind of what your, you know, mindset is about capturing new eyes that aren't, you know, typical 30s, 40-year-old white guys. So folks out there are going to have a lot of different opinions yeah. on, on .NET, on various Microsoft-sponsored technologies, yeah. right? Um, we're, we're not going to avoid, in the short term, we're not going to avoid the perception that, that .NET is, and, and I'm going to particularly, uh, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, that .NET is an enterprise-y Le, uh, series of tools, sure. That's right. Fair. It's not the the challenge that we as as community leaders have exactly is make this open, available, and accessible mm -hmm. to more folks. So, how do we do that? We've made things open source. We've made tools, advanced tools, Visual Studio Code, OmniSharp, 
um, GitHub Actions, um, GitHub Code Spaces. We've made these tools and features and interactions accessible to everybody. Yes. But there is still, and I'm, I'm actually going to throw back to your college professors that you referenced, there are still folks who are not plugged in, have not seen what's been accomplished by the Microsoft and .NET Foundation teams over the last five years, they don't understand what .NET Core is. They don't understand what .NET 5 is. They don't understand that Xamarin is free, open source, accessible, and helps you build mobile applications, applications that run on other platforms like Nintendo Switch, mm -hmm. PlayStation, Microsoft Xbox. It helps you build for these different platforms, and it's all the same technology. Mm -hmm. Right, we talk about .NET being being accessible and allows you to build for everything from cloud scale down to IoT scale. How do we make that accessible and aware for everybody? And that's where I see absolutely open open ended interactions for communities like like here on Twitch, mm -hmm. like YouTube videos, open the door and let people come in and discover. And I see folks that do things like Unity development. They're yeah. building games and they're out here on Twitch. And they're talking and showing, hey, yeah, look, I'm building this Unity game. And they drop down into, into some C-sharp code to write their logic for how these things interact. I see, I see folks like Abdul Hamed who are doing work to promote the Unity community. And we're, we're getting penetration into folks realizing there's a whole .NET ecosystem here that, yes, I'm building my game, but I can use the same language and, and models and interact with a cloud service that's going to store and manage my server for me. And I, I've got now one technology I'm using front to back. And then I look at folks here on Twitch, like like Lana Lux, yeah. who are building games literally eight to 10 hours a day, every day. Yeah. And and Lana is doing a tremendous job building, building games and showing exactly how easy it is mm -hmm. to get in and get started with these things. And she takes questions and talks to her audience and there's there's a whole level of things that she's doing that now open up and show here's here's a here's a tremendous woman who's making games and and sharing her entire experience yeah that's that's something that should be encouraging other, to other folks that oh most definitely right that yeah. that want to see find somebody who looks like me and because enterprise development for how many years mm -hmm was was very much very much a white guy thing yeah it, 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 yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of white guys here but it, we're opening the doors we're bringing more folks in um right we're supporting organizations and we're, we're encouraging bringing in the next generation of folks through black girls code girls who code mm -hmm. women who code vets who code getting these folks in showing them that this is a great technology that you can participate in welcoming them and and showing right and encouraging and enabling them free easy to access tools and and technologies that everybody everybody can have a, a very productive time using yeah I, I again i i mean you hit the nail on the head i think one of the things that's really cool about live streaming too is that it's not just open to everybody i think that's like that's fair but it's also open to everybody at any level which i think oh, is sure. like so like like lana's a great example like lana's building things that sometimes are very sophisticated mm -hmm. sometimes she's starting just at ground zero mm -hmm. and 
Like she's going through the same pitfalls that every developer or every person in general runs into, right? Like, oh, why doesn't this work? Like, why can't I get this one thing to do what I want? Sure. And um, I always think it's it's interesting. I have a I have a friend who says they're not a huge fan of streaming themselves because and or are sure. not streaming themselves but watching streams because they don't like watching people struggle. And in my response to that is, well, everybody kind of struggles, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's good to show humanity when we do our work, right? And also, like, the second set of eyes thing is so true. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you try this one thing? Oh, boom. Like, I've seen many times on your stream, why doesn't this work? You're banging at the keyboard. Why doesn't this work? And then literally one line in the chat is like, have you tried this? And then you're mm-hmm. like, no. Da-da-da, works. Every, almost, it, and it's, it's like the power of community helps in that particular area. As a streamer, <clears throat> as a streamer, power of community helps. It's humbling. Yep. And the other thing it does is it shows that we're all learning, yeah. right? The the struggle to identify bugs, fix bugs, identify issues, how we triage and design functionality. That's where folks learn. Describing and showing, hey, here's the features of Framework X. Mm-hmm. Here's how we use Tool Y. Eh, that only goes so far sure but showing the actual right this is right the the dev relation developer advocacy thing show don't tell Mm -hmm. show me how to use that tool show me what the struggle is how you fix that bug folks watching and seeing your thought process and being able to take that those concepts and apply them to what they're doing that's where education takes place and i think you're, you're very spot on is it's not, hey, look at this new thing. Let me show you the cool things of this new thing. I think the other approach is I'm trying to build something mm-hmm. and I'm going to use this thing. Mm-hmm. Not because um, I need to show it to you like in a pitchy way, but in a I think this is a good option for what I'm trying to do. And that's what, like yeah. I, I talk with people all the time about this. It's like. The technology at the end of the day, and like I work at Microsoft, Jeff works at Microsoft, so it's dangerous saying these sort of things, but sometimes the technology just doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and like it's really like what you're comfortable with as a developer. In some cases, that's not true. Um, I had a conversation um, yesterday with somebody who works on Microsoft's um, customer facing side. We call it the field at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to this person and I made a comment about how. The uh, blue cloud that Microsoft has is mm-hmm. a commodity as well as the cloud that the big um, retail the store has. Yeah, the big bookstore yeah. has, which is the same as the cloud that the big search engine has. Like, mm-hmm. they're all commodities. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 the um, I guess you could say what brings folks in to use those tools is perception as well as, I guess, you know, does this particular thing feel right to me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a good way to think about things instead of like I had a conversation and they were a uh, they were a quote unquote AWS fanboy, right? Like there's okay. Azure fanboys, there's Google fanboys, right? There's people that they they live and die by their technology for whatever reason. And sure. in my comment was, so why are you so why, why do you think this is the best option? Not trying to convince them to go somewhere else, mm. but they said, it's because of what I learned on. I'm like, ah, you learned on it, 
<clears throat> so you feel most comfortable in it. So that's why you're it. And they're like, eh, sure. It, like, inertia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And it, it, the, your tools, your technologies, inertia is a very strong thing. Yeah. Right. How much time am I, I going to have to spend porting to the next programming language, porting to the next framework, yep. changing hosting providers, changing cloud providers. There's that inertia that it's going to take for me to start back up, grind the wheels of learning so that I get to that next platform, use that and move forward. Well, that takes, that takes a lot of time, effort and money. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that the hosting providers, the, the cloud providers, they kind of bank on a little bit sure. is that we've got you here. You're the likelihood of you changing to the other guy yep. is low. Mm -hmm. If I can continue providing the tools, the technologies, the integrations that you want, because all of your data is here, all of your, all of your login information is here. All of your applications are here. Well, if we can extend and provide the next set of functionality for the next thing that you need, oh, you need a reporting and graphing and charting platform. Well, here's we so and so that, that we yeah. built. <clears throat> so those integrations and in, in keeping you on a tool and technology is a very powerful thing. Sure. Now, when which which also then means then if you're a startup and you're building a new programming language foo you want to use foo language well what's the hook what yeah. what's going to make me say i need to learn to use foo mm -hmm. and make that happen yeah. and then the question is well people have all their data locked up in cloud in the blue cloud yeah well how can i integrate foo with the blue cloud so that people want to use more foo and i can connect with those customers mm -hmm. and they want to start using foo yeah. so it becomes this very networked ecosystem mm -hmm. where oh i don't want to use the blue cloud i want to use the bookstore cloud because the bookstore cloud has x y and z mm -hmm. customer and if it's good enough for x y and z mm -hmm. it's good enough for me well, oh yeah like yes the, and no yeah <laughs> the phrase vendor lock-in is very true right like hey i mean like we talk about how it's not like, oh, you can go from one cloud to the other, like, but it's not like, it's not, right? Um, I think that's, it's very fair. Uh, it's funny that you brought up like program language foo, right? Versus whatever, mm -hmm. like I, I, mm -hmm. I, I've had a conversation on this stream with one of the designers for Golang. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he and I were having a conversation about, you know, what makes Golang so interesting. And I, I made a, 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 a jokey sort of comment about, well, um, Google decided to build a couple of platforms using mm -hmm. that language. And he said, sure, it's that, but, but we now had a conversation about scalability and stuff like that. And I totally agree with everything that you're saying, but I think that there's something to say that if Docker and Kubernetes aren't written in Go, how popular is Go? Because mm -hmm. I think back to your point about showing, um, showing the like this is a practical implementation of this particular tool or mm -hmm. language and um last time i checked like they're kind of a big deal these container things so maybe so like i mean that's enough to convince any developer or any enterprise is looking to build something it's like mm -hmm. oh like if it's good enough for that it must be good enough for what i'm trying to do so right but that right that's also Right, that that evidence is it's hit or miss, right? Sure. Oh, great! It's it's so great for building this highly optimized, yeah. 
piece of internet architecture that everybody's using are are you really going to use go to build your accounting system no i mean that that's I mean, another point too right like you pick the right tool for the job i talk about that all the time right yeah. like you know if you are a traditional .NET developer and you love .NET, like learning the hot new javascript framework of the month it might not be mm -hmm. of your best benefit or trying to use some other programming language because there's you feel like it's um, more scalable or more you know durable when you see a blog post about it i talk about this with um javascript developers too where it's like if you're happy with node and node does everything that you want and your javascript and your front ends do whatever you want like is there a real reason to want to learn another language and my my comment is always like it's good to be aware of other languages but you don't need to be experts in everything like right. you know masters of none is a thing right like go ahead but uh, right to there are folks who who do enjoy learning programming languages oh for sure great yeah. you want to you know java you know c sharp you know visual basic you know javascript you know typescript uh, php python mm -hmm. great yep. what have you built yeah if you haven't built or and delivered value in applications does it it's it's nothing more than a hobby that you know sure. 20 programming languages yeah. and once you start delivering value once you start delivering applications features um <laughs> systems that customers are using that folks who aren't your immediate family are using now now you're a productive developer now you're actually contributing something to society right or or you're teaching folks right mm -hmm. the, well if you're teaching folks folks the product you're you're building is curriculum it's and content yeah. and the education but yeah. i digress the, the point still being deliver value yeah. choose the right tool that delivers that value and and containers and having a highly optimized binary generating language like go makes perfect sense for mm -hmm. that yeah. would you use javascript to build a container platform no yeah. No, it's interpreted on the fly. You would need to build some something uh, that that's interpreting, and it would just be a mess. Sure, not going to work. Single threaded web server platform, so that you have the same language on the front end of your web as you do on the back end of your web, makes sense to build Node. But as soon as you need multiple threads, mm -hmm. you need you need some significant processing. Well, the gears start to grind. Yeah. Is that the right tool for that? No, yeah. but to just fetch some data, output it, okay, sure, right? Build little microservices that do a little bit of business logic and output some data, yeah. provide some interaction, makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I, I get it and I get why people prefer some technologies over others, and that's okay. Go for it. Use your favorite technologies and, and you absolutely should have preferences. If, if you didn't have preferences of technologies that worked well for you that made you productive that made you happy that fit with how you thought i i wouldn't i i, I wouldn't know I, I would almost suggest that you're still learning as a developer sure. what technology how the technologies fit together yeah um so i i think there's there's something to be said about getting those first steps finding your preferences and, and trying different things so that yeah. you do identify where your preferences are. Yeah, I think it's also fair to say that regardless of what like language or what tools that you pick, you can spend your entire career just knowing the ins and outs and figuring out all the different things. Like for instance, like .NET. Like, mm -hmm. like when you do your stream, like you do themes. Like you'll do uh, like 
this month we're going to do all gaming. This month we're going to mm -hmm. use just Linux or just Mac mm -hmm. or just on whatever or just a Chromebook. Mm -hmm. um, and you could continue to do that for a very, very long time, right? Because, sure. you know, .NET is a platform that's, that's I, w I don't want to use the word mature because, I mean, .NET to an extent is 20 plus years old, but mm -hmm. I guess the new way we do .NET is a bit different, kind of, but not really. Um, no, I guess uh, I'm, I'm rambling. Anyway, I think one of the things to say is that you can spend a lot of your time inside of a particular program language just knowing the ins and outs of it and be completely fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, and and um, I, there's a great quote, quote from David Hanemeyer Hansen, the guy who founded Ruby on Rails, yep. right, that when he started writing Ruby on Rails and, and he started – putting together these pieces of the the MVC framework and active record and how those fit together, scaffolding. He, he describes that the framework felt like a glove for his brain. It just fit perfectly with how he thought about building applications. And, right, I, I would challenge viewers out there, find a technology that fits your brain like a glove that fits with the way that you think maybe it's object oriented technology maybe it's object oriented programming language maybe it's a functional language what have you that's and and if it fits your your calling as a developer and if and you feel right delivering features delivering value with that technology go there's the, now you've figured out that intersection between between right, your calling, what makes you feel good, a good set of tools. Now you just got to find customers to buy it and, and you're yeah. sold, you're set. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, all that is really spot on. I want to transition a little bit and get to know sure. a little bit more about Jeff Fritz, the person. Okay. And uh, so one of the things that I like to talk about with folks is kind of how, not how they got started in their professional career with open source, but, you know, do you remember the first time that you worked with a piece of technology that was, I guess, openly available. Like, for instance, some examples are like, you know, if if you got, you know, the, the programming magazines in the mail or the CDs mm -hmm. in the mail, right? Mm -hmm. um, you want to talk about a little bit like how you got started in technology and if there was some open source piece to that? There was no open source piece to that. <laughs> oh, no. well, there we go. Um, I, right, I, got started, I got started programming. I was... Gosh, six, seven years old, my, mm -hmm. and my father brought home a Commodore 64. Sure. And, right, I was learning basic because there was there were books published, and right, I, I, I keyed in the source code that was published in those books for the little lemonade stand game, um, right? Or, or I got Compute Magazine, right? There's, there's a throwback. Um, and it had, right, it was, there was source code that was published on the magazine page, and you had to type it out exactly and get it written into into your 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 commodore save it off to disk properly and it would run and this is this is how you built software it wasn't so much open source as it was right because there was no take back on here's the source code it was it, it was it was more like it wasn't even shareware it was right it was just here's the published source code for this go and use it um and there was no license really around it right um so that was that was really where I learned basic, right? And I'm talking the, the basic language the basic, was, yeah. ugh, was Commodore 64 and, and tinkering and, and work, working with it that way. And when I was in, when I was in college many years later, um, I, I learned Visual Basic 4. I learned Fortran 77. And right, it's, it, 
these were things I was like, well, what, what am I really going to do with this? I don't mm -hmm. get it. Yep. You know, um, I, I was seeing client server apps at, at the insurance company that I, that I was interning at over the summers. And I, I thought this was the thing. Let's, yep. let's write some power base um, that, that, uh, that connects to a Sybase database and interact with data out there and, and, it presents something, some sort of screens that folks can interact with because I was used to seeing the Windows 3.1 gray screen applications. Sure. Yep. And right, open source for for those years that I was being in, that I was engaging 95, 96, 97 was just becoming a thing because right, Linus had just posted his his first set of messages on the Usenet forums mm -hmm. about about Linux, about tinkering with um, with writing a, a Unix like kernel. Yep. It, so it wasn't really a thing at that point as I'm making my way through college and I'm seeing, you know, the, some of the GNU tools becoming available on the Unix machines that I had access to. It, it wasn't clear to me that I was using things that were free and open source yeah. the way Richard Stallman talks about it. Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't really until right. The early two thousands, that I started using jQuery, that it really started to click with me that, wait a sec, here's a library that not only can I interact with, but I can contribute back to. And I, I was using Linux in the 90s, but it wasn't so much something that I was contributing to or engaging with the community. I was downloading yeah. and installing my Slackware Linux machine. Sure. But with jQuery, now... Now this is something I can contribute to. This is something that I can read. And, and I wanted to write documentation back into, onto their documentation website, right? The, I, I final, that's when it clicked for me, even though I knew community was running the Linux operating system and, and GNOME and KDE, these things that I was using, I wasn't engaging sure. with the community. I was a, I was a consumer. Yeah. But but jQuery got me going. J oh, hey, let me write a plugin for this. And I wrote a little plugin that I could use at the company I was at at the time. And who cares? I didn't. I didn't share it back. Didn't publish it to things. But it got me. It, it got my wheels cranking. There's something here that I can build and use, publish and work with. And it it got me starting to think about how I can make those kinds of things available. Yeah. And and I, when I had a problem to solve for our company and we were using um at the time i was using uh aspnet web forms with aspnet mvc mm -hmm. and we needed to to scale and and use create create that that uh, the the server farm using aspnet across several machines sure. well none of the state managers that were available, the state repositories really fit with the way that we wanted to build our application. Okay. So I wrote my own plugin for that and I published the source out to gosh, out to CodePlex. Ooh. And yeah, that, that was the first project that I published. Nobody downloaded it. Nobody used this thing, but I gave a talk or two about mm -hmm. it. I, I talked about what it was like to engage and build and interact with these pieces of the framework. And that's what got my my wheels really going about wait a sec i can do more with this yeah there's something here and and the the next project i really got into coming out of jquery and, and writing unit tests with with within for jquery i wanted to write unit tests around 
the JavaScript applications that I was writing for Windows 8, Ooh. right? Because that was a thing you could build applications with JavaScript, right? It, what a throwback to where we are now. <laughs> and um, I wrote a little unit testing framework and I saw that there were no sessions talking about building applications with JavaScript at TechEd in 2012. So I submitted sessions. I'm like, look, you need to be talking about this. And none of them were picked up. They were all rejected. But um, Richard Campbell saw some of these and picked up and said, hey, why don't you speak at this spe speaker idol thing that I do yeah. in 2012 at TechEd? And I, I, I gave it a try. I gave my little five-minute talk about my unit testing framework and building applications for Windows 8 using JavaScript. And I lost. Um, but I was recognized and found by by the folks at Telerik. Mm -hmm. The rest is history. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a very similar, I guess, there's a lot of things that a lot of our guests, previous guests have shared, right? Like, the, the whole concept of the magazine or the CD in the mail, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's I think that's pretty spot on. I, I do find it interesting that you don't see that as a, a, at least a subtle form of open source, right? I mean, sure, it's it is, but it's not. I get that there's no yeah. there's no loop, right? It's it published source, yeah. right? There is no contributing back. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, I agree to an extent, but my I guess my point is is that you wouldn't have known about that source unless it was presented to you in some fashion, right? Sure. Um, sure. So I think, though, that's it's very interesting. I do have a random question for you. Okay. Um, when you were younger, um, mm. you know, before— I didn't have a beard, no. Uh, well, I I imagine there's pictures of little, little C-sharp Fritz with a mustache, though. No. No? Oh. No. Th that's very disappointing. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so— one of the things that I always find very interesting about myself that is a, it's a, something that I share with a lot of people that I've talked to that are in tech in general is that they were tinkerers by nature when they were younger. Okay. Do you remember being, uh, I guess, somebody who was interested in how things worked, I guess? Oh, yeah. Like one of the things that I'm very guilty of and my parents, whenever I bring it up, they just laugh is I would take apart stuff all the time. Remote control cars, VCRs, whatever, right? I took I, apart the alarm clock. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I mm -hmm. wanted to see... First, I wanted to see how it worked, and then there mm -hmm. was always a challenge for my parent. It's like that needs to go back together the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, so um, my first computer wasn't a Commodore sixty four; it was like an old HP Pavilion, whatever, right? Okay. Um, uh, Windows XP, um, and I think I took it apart day two, um, <laughs> not knowing anything about computers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my dad was very much like, you know we spent the last better part of like four months getting this computer on layaway. Um, you better what, fix that. What, what the heck? And yeah. I figured it out. It was, uh, I'm very surprised I didn't blow anything out because I wasn't practicing good, um, you know, you know, static management or anything like mm -hmm. that. Right. So I was mm -hmm. very fortunate, but the fact that I was able to put it back together, I think is what triggered it for me. Um, okay. and, Ever since then, like I've been very interested about like technology, and I imagine mm -hmm. like do you have a similar story where you know you said alarm clock, but I, yeah. I don't imagine you probably disassembled the Commodore sixty four, right? No, no, no. Um, I, I do think that there's some interesting facts about your kind of your 
upbringing in in tech is that like the term open source, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a term that's been coined fairly recently. I mean, not recent. I guess recently in like the better part of the last what thirty years, maybe. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, but before the that, open source consortium and yeah. Eric S. Raymond. Yeah, but before that, like the the open software movement was was mm -hmm. what it was called, right? To an mm -hmm. extent, right? And I find it interesting that you you bring up Richard Stallman because the like the goal of the open source um, that I guess that flight or whatever you want to call it was the sharing of software for free, and then it got recoined into distributable free software and mm -hmm. i think that's where like the term open source like really is origin is from is like not just code that we share but in a distributed way and i and and yeah. right the the free adjective that we're using there is not free as in costs nothing yes is free as in liberty free yeah. as in you're you're free to use this however you'd like you're free to yeah. modify it however you'd like you buy a car and drive it off the lot you're free to modify that. Yeah. You want to put a turbocharger on on your VW Bug? Go for it. Yeah. You want to you want to replace the brake pads with uh, higher quality ones? You want to improve the wheels? You want to put different tires on it? Go for it. Mm -hmm. You can customize that. Yeah. The software that was available at the time that Richard Stallman was was engaging with, you didn't have those liberties available to you. Yeah. So for him and his movement right? Where at MIT and they were engaged in sharing and interacting and growing this burgeoning early community, it made perfect sense that we want to give folks the ability to change and grow and, and uh, enhance the software, yep. right? This, this is the, the essence of the cathedral and the bizarre um, essay, right? In the cathedral, it's all set up by an art, by an architect and it's built this way. And it, it's stone walls, and yep. that's the way that it's built. Where the bazaar, you have all these little tables and things that are going on that everybody's kind of participating in growing an economy together, and it's loosely organized, and it, there's folks that are contributing by being there and interacting with each other in little pockets. Yep. So um, it's... it's it, I look at um, where we are now with... You mentioned .NET Foundation earlier, Linux Foundation, um, JavaScript Foundation, these organizations that are helping to promote th these technologies and provide some legal teeth, some support, some backing behind them so that enterprises, large companies, governments feel comfortable engaging and using those technologies. Um, that's a very good thing. That's a very good evolution of that so that for these corporations, for these organizations, that need assurance that those technologies aren't going to just go away because, because Fritz isn't interested yeah. in writing that technology anymore, isn't interested in supporting that, uh, you know, it, we've got that support system available. Sure. So it's a natural evolution. However, the bizarre, the, the down to earth folks that are working out of their garage that are pu pulling things together and, and right by hand building some of these technologies is still very, very active and, and very, very productive. Then, and it's not something that we should undervalue. Mm -hmm. We need to appreciate what these folks do. We need to support them. And when I see things like GitHub sponsorships available out there for folks that are building some of the basic technologies that we use as part of, yeah. as part of our bigger efforts, 
I want to support them. Yeah. So a great example of this, the technology that Isaac, that you're using to present this stream today, we're, we're using OBS, the open mm -hmm. broadcaster software. If you go into the file about menu, the, the help about menu there, you're going to find a couple entries there of note, two, three entries of note. Um, I pay money for OBS. I'm, I'm one of the sponsors for OBS and the live coders, my stream team, is I, I think we're, I forget what it's called, a, a silver sponsor or something. We're a top level sponsor, one of the top level mm -hmm. sponsors of that software. This is something that makes, it makes our, our, our job, our hobby, whatever it might be, our streaming experience better. And we want to make sure that those folks get the support they need. Mm -hmm. So that support system is something that we can't undervalue and we need to ensure that we encourage for these creators going forward. And it comes back to it's free for you to use however you want, but at some point we need to compensate these creators yeah. so they can continue to create. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. And that, so that's one of the things I like to talk about a lot, right? So, you know, maybe there are some people out there that love OBS or some other sure. tool. Um, mm -hmm. Like for instance, I had Jamie Rison who created a, a platform called Ombi, which is um, it's a .NET based media management server okay. service that you can deploy out. Right? Um, I didn't know about it until I I reached out. He reached out, said he'd like to be on the the stream, and I looked into it. It's like, oh, you've got a lot of stuff. Um, like he has that you know thousands of issues, you know tons tens of pull requests, and one of the things that I thought was very interesting is that it's one guy, right? Yeah. And, you know, to your point earlier about contributing from a financial perspective, some people may not be able to do that, but everybody can contribute time. Yep. Right. So, you know, just as simple as opening up an issue, having a conversation with the organizer or the creator of that particular uh, repository or tool, mm -hmm. you know, pull requests, if you feel comfortable contributing to docs, like yep. these are all things that, yep. you know, if you're, if you feel like you can't provide financial assistance, provide time-based assistance. And I think, you know, a lot of maintainers would love anybody's time. Absolutely. There's three things that you can contribute to any project. Time, talent, treasures. Yes. One of those three things you can contribute and it's going to go a long way for the team, the creator, the the, the owners of those projects, right? The, those maintainers, those folks treasures you can pay them and and it's going to help them go a long way and maybe they can even go full-time working on it your talents like you said writing up issues providing feedback and and making that available right your time send some code in send a pull request hey i saw you had a problem here with with your documentation i saw you had a problem with feature x i know how to fix that i'm going to spend a little bit of time and let me share that over to you one of you're going to if you can share one of those three things with an open source project maintainer, you're going to, you're going to make their year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's spot on. Like, I think one of the things that people in general have concerns about over the, the non-financial push is that, Oh, maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I can't do this particular thing because I don't have the skill sets. Well, I mean, I, I tell this people all the time, like, are you familiar with the tool? Do you like using the tool? Are you passionate about the tool? If so, <laughs> You can give back in technical writing. You can give back in mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. like you don't need to be technical to open up issues. Like right. I think that's I think that's right. very well established. So I think it's just a. I think also another good thing that's um, interesting that GitHub just recently 
uh, laid out was discussions, right? Like this concept of like, hey, let's chat about things instead of opening up issues to chat about things. Like Mm -hmm. that's a great way for people to build that community where, where we can grow and learn about how we can extend the platform or fix the platform in a way that satisfies a lot of different users, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like just conversation is extremely valuable to maintainers too, because as somebody that has done open source projects like you have and I have, it's very hard to see the forest through the trees. Sure. Right? Like sure. you're building something. You get down in the weed. Yeah. You're building something mm-hmm. and you're trying to solve it for whatever you want to solve it for. And then you find out, oh, like I'm the only person on the face of the earth that cares about this one thing. But mm-hmm. a lot of other people care about this other thing. Maybe I should think about reprioritizing what I need to look at. And I think doing that is really, really important. Um, well, yeah. right. And th- this speaks towards having an open ecosystem where you can accept pull requests. That contribution back, well, that's great. You're you're uh, Michael Jolly hanging out there, the bald-bearded builder, and yeah. you use this technology in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's not the way I use it. Send a pull request and we'll make it better for both of mm-hmm. us. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, again, like having the conversations out in the open is extremely valuable, right? And whether those mm-hmm. conversations are technical, whether those conversations are informative, whether those mm-hmm. conversations are educational, like the stream that you do, like the conversations are what brings people back, right? Mm-hmm. Like having conversations back and forth or, or I guess one-way conversations where, you know, you're talking mm-hmm. to the ether like mm-hmm. at a tech event or whatever, and then maybe you'll get a question at the end or maybe there'll be some people who want to talk to you in the hallway. Like that's mm-hmm. valuable. But what's more valuable is you do something, feedback in real time, mm-hmm. and you're doing it with your friends. So the people that you're interacting with are people that are either they're, um You're in the echo chamber. Yeah. They're your friend. They're the folks who know yeah. this is the direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. It's when you get outside the echo chamber. It's when you yeah. get uncomfortable. That's when real learning happens. That's when real change happens. Yeah. Because you start to see those other things out there. Here's a question for you since, you know, you do have a, um, a lot of return listeners or return watchers, right? People that come onto your stream. So mm-hmm. my question for you is this. When somebody comes on that you've never seen their alias or their handle before and they're mm-hmm. asking questions and they're like, so – how do you like I guess my like do you remember the first time that actually happened where somebody comes in, you don't recognize the name and they have like a very thoughtful question that made you kind of sit back and like, oh, interesting. Do you remember a particular scenario like that off the top or no? Oh, there's there's so many of yeah. them. It happens all the time. Um, I mean, November 23rd, 2017 was my first stream mm-hmm. and I mean I I was I was building an extension to to play hold hold music while I was building while I had my application building in Visual Studio. I just wanted to play some hold music. Mm-hmm. And and I had people I had a guy from from the UK asking questions about well why do you need this? What's you know what's going to be the benefit of this? What you know and and would it be nice if we could customize the music instead of just playing whatever it is that you're going to suggest? Yeah. Oh, what a great idea. Now I'm going to go learn how to build and options, a dialogue to pop up mm-hmm. in the options uh, window. Fantastic. So I went and, and learned how to do that because he suggested, yeah, let's get a little bit outside of this. I just wanted to build a thing that that's that listened to two events. Build started, build ended, and played. start playing music here and playing music there. That's yeah. it. And 
it got me out of my comfort zone. It got me thinking, all right, well, how do I build an options dialog? Let me go find, find a demo that shows me how to do that. And I'll lift and learn and put it in here. And it's a growing experience. And it's part of what makes live streaming, live coding so humbling. Mm -hmm. Gets you out of your comfort zone. Oh, I didn't think about that. Let me go try something different. And that, like, that's where the value is, is well, for me as a broadcaster, that's the value that I get. I went and learned something new. The value that I hope the viewer gets is watching that learning process, mm -hmm. watching, here's how we adjust. Here's how we readjust our project plan to include this suggestion and prioritize it appropriately yeah. so that it gets included in the, the next release or whatever. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has... I think made your stream in particular like very scalable as you could say is that you start a project and then mm -hmm. you you know you build that project all the way through to you when you feel like that project is is good to be retired and maybe move on to something else right um yeah yeah and i think that's you know that brings people back because they want to know, oh what's jeff gonna do next time like, right what's the next thing we're gonna add into yeah. x yeah 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 I, so I guess one of my – so when did you decide – because I know when you first started, there was things like Stream Tools and Core Wiki, and mm -hmm. and now you've kind of transitioned to these this – like still building a, a shared or a, a shared idea across multiple mm -hmm. streams, but it's all in a theme. Mm -hmm. So at what point in time did you think of a theme being something that would be very fun to play with the audience? Stream tools, I tried to do that, right? That was one of the first things. That's kind of like an initiation thing. And the mm -hmm. folks that are watching here in chat, you probably, you've probably seen enough folks live streaming do this, right? Yeah. It's the initiation of, hey, I'm going to build a chat bot to manage mm -hmm. my channel. I'm a, I'm a developer. I can listen to the IRC, yeah. uh, the IRC channel and respond and interact. And that's what stream tools tried to be. And Right, I tried to make that something fun that folks could interact with, and I there was a, a gentleman in Germany who sent a whole bunch of pull requests to wire up the stream tools so they would work on Mixer. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this was this was month two, month three that I was that I was live coding, um, January, February, twenty eighteen, mm -hmm. and I, I started to get when you get those pull requests as a as a live coder. Now you're talking. Now it's something that I've, I'm doing something folks are interested in yep. and they want to see develop. They want to hear their name when when you're writing code and you're mm -hmm. talking. They want to see their code. They want to hear your feedback on how they submitted, how they accomplished the task. And Stream Tools, I, I got to a point with it six months out where it was like, you know what? This is quite frankly boring. <laughs> because everybody everybody does it, sure. right? It's not unique. What makes me unique? What makes me stand out? And I got into and I started doing Core Wiki. In Core Wiki, let's do a content management system, right? We had iBuySpy with with .NET Framework back in the day, but what's the content management system that everybody learns how to do that works with .NET Core? And we started down this idea of Core Wiki, and we started doing it actually on stage at Dev Intersection yeah. in Orlando, which was a whole nother experience to try and do live coding with a live audience. Yeah, and like an in-person audience end on stream. Whew, that was different, right? That was an experiment and it was hard. But what we learned was we could do this. This was something that mm -hmm. we could accomplish. And 
um, we didn't get as much engagement from the in in person audience as we did from the online audience. I think the on the in person folks just didn't get it right. Why are these people who are in chat? Why are they getting Fritz's intent, uh, attention instead of me here? Yeah. So it right that was an experiment that, quite frankly, it it went in a direction that became too complicated. Sure. There were folks who said, "Oh, you need a CQS or CQRS architecture. We need to implement." um ddd principles and these types of things and it became way too complicated yep. and unmanageable for a learning project yeah right we, we built for for every possible scenario but because we built for every possible scenario we couldn't do the simple things because it was so complicated to just say create a new article on yeah. in the wiki yeah, yeah pain in the neck so getting into some of the projects that I've been working on recently, over the past year, we've been working on these Blazor Webforms components. Mm -hmm. That was something that we felt, I felt, would meet a need to help show folks you can migrate from Webforms, ASP.NET Webforms, to Blazor. Yeah. It showed people that you could build with Blazor. And because we use that same project, building the, this component set, whether it was my minimal March month and I was showing... I built everything at the command line with VI and we even used, you mentioned a Chromebook for a week or two. Yeah. I mean, I spent 200 bucks on a commodity <laughs> Chromebook at, yep. at a Walmart. I even showed folks here. I am walking through Walmart and buying the Chromebook. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a thing you can do this and you can yeah. build with blazer on cheap and easy hardware yeah. worked out, made perfect sense. Um, right. And we, and we took it then and we did it on a Mac. You can build with blazer on a Mac. Here it is. Mm -hmm. Boom, Visual Studio Code, uh, VI, Emacs, what have you, right? And and taking that and and then getting frustrated with YAML and saying, well, I don't care about YAML anymore and, and it's inaccessible and why do I want to do this uh, with spaces and, and all this stupid markup? Let's eliminate all that, make it just tabs. The only markup we have is tabs, tabs and carriage returns. That's it. Yeah. That's a markup language. And we invented TAML and it, it started as a complete goof and it was something yeah. that quite literally isaac i was i was talking to the chat room and i was saying why do we need all of these things and and folks were laughing along yeah, and, and yeah. smirking like yeah you're right this is kind of silly yeah. if we can do everything it's just tabs so we started on the tamil project and we've got folks saying well it'd be great if i had a rust interpreter or i had a typescript interpreter and and we're learning to get outside of our comfort zone and try those mm -hmm. things yeah so yeah it's part of I want to come back and see what's next. I want to see what kind of, right. What kind of strange things can we get into and we can try and do differently. Yeah. Right. It, it Nothing has to be production ready. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But it's nice when it is. Yeah. So I mean, the project yeah. I've been working on for the last week, it's pretty production ready and it's, it's growing. It's, it's growing quickly. We'll see what happens here in the month of December as I, and that's not an open source project, but as I deploy the next series of features, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I, it's like, I totally, I think it's very, very funny that we talk about YAML and JSON and all these different things, right? Like I had to force myself to learn YAML because I started to use a lot of GitHub actions, right? And yeah. I was just like, eh. I just, what I do end up usually is I just, I write it and then I just throw it into some formatter and that tells me what I did wrong, which is a bummer. Yeah. But I mean, I, so, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end of the stream here. And yep. I think one of the things that I'll also, um, which has been really impactful at, for what you're doing, 
um, is that you've built this community of live streamers, right? Mm. And like, you know, the live coders and, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Crump is on, is, is here in chat. He's a, he's a live coder. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I know we don't have a lot of time left. We could talk about live coders for a while, but I'm, I'm curious to know um, when you decided that this live streaming thing, like you wanted to invest as much of your time in it as you can. And you noticed that there was a other, there was a, a community that wasn't small of people mm-hmm. out there that were mm-hmm. doing similar things that you were doing, but maybe using different uh, technologies, using different tools, but, but most importantly had different, um, they had different ways to go about doing things, different voices. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at what point in time did you decide we should all just team up like, you know, your favorite um, superhero Justice League or Avengers, right? Like, mm-hmm. when did I want to do, like, when did you decide that that was the, probably a good step to do? Um, September 2018, it was TwitchCon 2018, San Jose. Um, we, it, it was, in, it, I, I tell people the story. It, it was at a dinner. There were six of us sitting around a table. Um, Brian Clark, friend of ours, uh, um, also works at Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, had just given a session on how to how to hook up Twitch chat to light bulb that he had in the mm-hmm. background there during yeah. his during his streams. Suze Hinton was working at Microsoft at the time. She had given a session at TwitchCon the year before about how to hook up Twitch chat to affect lights on a tiara that she was wearing. Sure. Um, and uh, Mark Miller from Dev Express was there. Um, Eric Gooseman, Talk to Me Gooseman, was there. Um, one, two, three. Oh, and um, Cassie and Ren, um, they were there. Um, JavaScript IoT developer, and and we had this dinner, and we were talking around how we all do live coding kind of differently. Whether it's it's JavaScript over here, it's .NET for a couple of us. Um, how do we? Right. We, and we talked about some of the things that we learned and we figured out along the way to help make our development experience better interact with viewers and, and kind of raise, raise the profile of what we were doing. Sure. And at the same time, when we had, when Brian came off stage from his session at TwitchCon, right? TwitchCon is Twitch's annual conference mm-hmm. um, for creators, streamers, and viewers to meet those creators. Right, that, that in in meat space in the Earl in real life, right? Being able to interact with folks, um, right? When when Brian came off stage, there were a handful of other folks that wrote code that we didn't know. They were outside of our space, and there were folks there like Lucky Number Eleven, and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I I know of you. I hadn't watched too many of your streams, but we, right, we very much at that at that dinner with with the six of us said there's something here yeah. that that if if we were to, if we were to celebrate science and technology on Twitch the yeah. same way that Twitch celebrates Fortnite mm-hmm. PUBG yeah. these games right Hearthstone if we were to celebrate it the same way bring together a, and and form a team what does that look like what does that mean and and I'll never forget it was it was Suze's idea hey it'd be great if we had if we had a team jersey, all these esports teams, yeah. they have jerseys. What what does a developer jersey look like? And and gosh, if we had somebody reach partner, we could form a team and we could do we could do some of these things. It'd be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And um, we all kind of walked away from there 
that that event and we had this sense of unity and and we were very embedded with the creative community on twitch at the time because science and technology wasn't categories wasn't a yeah. thing it was communities sure. so we were with the creative community and folks like fierce kittens folks like um fairy wings quilt tony imperial she was imperial girl at the time imperial where we we pulled them i i i very much was ingrained in 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 their community um vex effects right vex is another member of the life coders team and and vex does he, he does hollywood level special effects whether yeah. it's models and 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 lighting and and blood and all kinds of stuff it, my gosh um and we we would talk to each other and we would figure out well how can we make our streams better yeah and that was definitely a thing that we felt and said how do we do this now right the, the creative folks that are doing those types of crafts right and and building right whether whether it's fairy wings doing doing chain mail right yeah. building chain mail yeah. on stream super cool oh my gosh <laughs> um or but for us doing software technology how do how do those things fit together? How do we encourage yeah. and grow that? Well, oh my gosh, I, I got to run. There's mm, <laughs> supposed to be over. I have another event that I'm supposed to be at okay. coming up here. Um, I thought I had I thought I had another half hour for that. Maybe you have to prep. Um, no, I thought I had a half hour to go and before that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the joy of live streams at any point right? in time, right? Like we've been on stream with my kid interrupting me. So, yeah. you know, Jeff has, um, I've got of, another session that I'm going to be delivering. I thought I had, uh, about a half hour for that, but no worries. Well, so let's wrap we up. We can talk more about this another time. Of course. Yeah. Like I would love to have Jeff on the stream again. Like obviously super, super fun guy to talk to. I want to thank you so much for joining. Um, so for everybody that's on the stream, thank you for coming in. Thank you for chatting with us and enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, everybody. All right.